0: Welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we're actually returning to the last episode we did on Destroy All Neighbors with guest Jonathan Martin. And we're actually going to be talking to the film's writer, Charles Piper. Jonathan's along for the ride as well. And we get to talk to Charles about some of the actual influences that inspired Destroy All Neighbors. And get his thoughts on some of the puzzle pieces that we brought up on the previous episode. We also get into some other stories from behind the scenes of making this movie. And it's a great, fun conversation. So that's coming up here in a second. Before we get to it, I do want to remind you, as always, to make sure you're subscribed to PC. It together wherever you listen to podcasts, wherever you're listening right now, hit that follow button or subscribe or whatever it is. And you could also follow us on social media at PiecingPod. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show. So, of course, make sure you've already seen Destroy All Neighbors. Go watch it on Shudder right now if you haven't yet. And then let's get into this conversation with Charles Piper and Jonathan Martin about the film. All right, so we just covered Destroy All Neighbors with guest Jonathan Martin. Jonathan's back with us, and we're joined by writer of Destroy All Neighbors, Charles Piper. Charles, thank you so much for being here. Hello.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm glad to talk about my life and the one to one ratio of what really happened and what's on the screen because no. none of it was exaggerated. I killed everybody. It's been a <laughs>
0: Sure. It's all real. Yeah.
1: You know, it's like old Han Solo. It's real. Yeah. All of it, it's all real. Whatever the quote was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: so we just had a great time talking about this movie. And, you know, I'll have a few questions for you along the way, uh, sure. but then we'll get into. What we do here on the show, the puzzle pieces, talking about what movies we think might have inspired this movie to a degree. And of course, you know, you as the writer, there's also Josh Forbes, the director. So, you know, both of you have different yeah. points of view coming into the project. There's a
1: lot of us. We're all very simpatico. And for the record, That's good. I was the first writer. And there were two other writers who came on board who evolved it. And it's like a mind meld. There was also Mike Benner, who's most known for Bob's Burgers. Mm-hmm. And then Jared Logan, who's a wonderful stand-up comedian, late-night writer, They, they brought more humor and sweetened up my darker, more morbid script. And the end is just a wonderful melange of the three of us. Yeah, plus Josh, who put a lot of himself into it. And Alex and Jonah were producers as well and brought a lot to it. It was... The film, making this film felt like getting a band together over the course of a decade, and that's also what the film's about, so it was a very interesting experience. Yeah,
0: I have to imagine there's a lot of playing around with a uh, a story like this, where once you actually mm-hmm. get to say, I mean, not so much improv, but just, like, things kind of evolving as the actual players are cast, yeah. and the music starts coming into the picture, oh, so... Oh, man,
1: that music, let me, let me say... Uh, I've been a fan of the band Man Man since 2005. When Josh Forbes and I made the initial Sizzle trailer out of like old horror movie footage to try to get this film made a decade ago, we used Man Man music in it. Jump forward a decade, not only did the lead singer, songwriter, and guitarist of Man Man score the entire film, but the lead singer, Man Man, is in the film. He plays Caleb Bang Jensen, the musician. Nice. I was listening to their soundtrack to my movie right before you came on, and let me tell you, if my real neighbor had been blaring that music a decade ago, this film never would have gotten written because I would have loved hearing it. (laughs) Yeah, right. That's funny. It's crazy. This film is crazy to me. I love it. It's... I fucking, I was listening to Man Man in high school, like Jesus Christ.
0: That is wild because Jonathan and I were talking a lot about the music uh, during the main it's conversation so and how, you know, landing on specifically this kind of prog rock and kind of mm-hmm. bringing in all these influences, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. hearing that, I mean, Jonathan, the fact that that this is music that Charles was kind of like aiming for for all these years, it's mm-hmm. kind of crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and
2: it kind of, uh, we kind of touched on that yesterday. Because what mm-hmm. did I say near the end of the conversation? I said, there's a lot of, knowing Charlie, there's a lot of Charlie in this film. <laughs> and yeah. uh, so, so hearing that, that, that there's no, so, I love the story. I love mm-hmm. like this, just how that all had to, it almost is like kismet, right? But it's it was, like, it just, yeah. but, but like knowing now that that you were actually listening to this, and now it's come uh-huh. into being. It's like, it's like you started birthing this into existence when you just started I know, dude, that.
1: it's, it's like I've been trying to take the world's biggest shit for a decade, <laughs> and I finally got it into the bowl. Like, the relief is extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. I mean, and also, another little uh, detail, just coincidental, so, my favorite film of all time is The Night of the Hunter. Mm. Okay, oh, with Robert not. Mitchum, with, you know, the one and only Charles Laden made a film so wild and dark that even though he's a famous character actor, he was banished from ever directing a film again. Turns out that's also Alex Winter's favorite film of all time. Nice. Also, Jonah Ray loves that film too. So they decided to put in a little bit of Vlad singing the song Robert Mitchum sings, the leaning on the everlasting arms to threaten him as he's walking away. And then that goes into the nightmare montage where Alex's voice is flat is singing it throughout, and on the soundtrack, there's an extended mix of that track, with Alex singing more of the Night of the Hunter song, and it's just like, I have a Night of the Hunter poster around the corner in my apartment here. Like, this whole thing. And the soundtrack? Alec, uh, Ryan and Brett came up with 100 individual sound cues for the film. And when they released the soundtrack, which is now available on Spotify, Apple Music, through Sub Pop Records, they whittled it down to 69 tracks, nice. just to be funny.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Because... Uh, you yeah, that? I know. And, you know. It's interesting you bring up Night of the Hunter, because just the other day, I saw somebody posting, a filmmaker was posting on mm-hmm. Facebook, like, hey, Southern Gothic recommends, go. And my only one was just like, no. Night of yeah. the Hunter. One no. and done,
1: man. Like, you can't stop <laughs> like, that. It's... What
2: What else do you need? You know what I, I mean? And... This,
1: this, is, this is how deep my Night of the Hunter love goes. But... Uh, Mm, eight nine years ago. I worked for free for a month on a film out here in LA because the film director was an older man named uh, Terry Terry I'm blanking on Terry. He was an award-winning Academy award-winning documentarian But I took the job because when he was a college kid right out of UCLA in the late 50s His first job was as the second unit director of the night of the hunter. Hell yeah and I wanted to be close to him to hear stories about Robert Mitchum and Charles Laudan. And he was so busy directing, and plus there was no money. His film it was a period piece, 60s film. I think it was called Liza, Liza, Skies are Gray. The lead actress went on to be one of the Manson girls in the Tarantino film. She gets like burnt to death. Oh, yeah. Anyway, he just he just found it amusing. I think he was in his late 70s maybe at the time. And he was just like, this this young guy likes my that movie? <laughs> okay, whatever. Like, I didn't get any good stories out of it, but... That's my love for that film. That's awesome. Yeah. It You know,
0: this is like a total tangent, but like, you know, you coming from all these short films that you've been doing and going through the whole festival mm-hmm. circuit to now having this movie yes. that, you know, everybody's talking about, you know, I feel like everybody who actually makes moves in this business is like doing things because they love movies so much and like hearing you talk about wanting to work with that guy just because he worked it's on that the movie. only
1: way if 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 you don't actually love this shit and you're in it just for the accolades or the awards well number one you're a fucking chump and, <laughs> and get out of the room but number two it's not gonna happen, yeah. okay? When it takes a decade to get a film made like this, that's a decade where mostly you just feel like a bum. That's a decade where you walk to the coffee shop looking like this, like a goblin, <laughs> and there's Christopher Nolan with his family because he lives in your neighborhood, my neighborhood, and you're just like, God damn, you know? And then you're seeing your friends win Oscars and be like these kings and queens of the industry, and they fucking rock it, and that's great, but no, you have to really love this stuff, and I can't even speak to that more than me, like. I've been this singularly weird horror comedy guy since day one, thanks to the love of my parents, who are theater people, who have been so supportive. I made my earliest horror movie comedies on VHS camera with them in my living room as a kid. It's called Murders at the Halloween Hotel, Mm. and the sequel is Revenge of the Halloween Hotel, which you can find on Vimeo. Like, for better or worse, I've been this guy forever, and most of my life, that did not correlate to what was popular, and I just didn't deviate from it. And I've been able to kind of have this hard scrabble existence of you know I've taken day jobs when i am needed to. I'm very lucky. I've lived in this part apartment building for over a decade, and it's old enough to be rent controlled, which is a big help. Nice. But no, like if you want to get ahead in this industry, you have to be comfortable feeling like a piece of shit for a long time. <laughs> it's a war of attrition, yeah, that's you know. Sure. <laughs> uh, I wish I had easier news, but yeah, if anyone's listening to this, like, and also like with the film festivals. If you're in it to, like, win awards, like, cool. But also, shut up, dumb, dumb chump. You go to film festivals to make contacts, to meet friends, like Jonathan Martin, like you guys. Like, I <laughs> I, I was such a nervous little scamp at FilmQuest 2018 because that short film, that Malika Straka took half a decade to get made as well because I wouldn't do it till I had enough finances for everyone and I had crazy medical problems that kept happening. So you got to put in the time if you want to, like, do... The crime? I don't know. Yeah, it's all about time, and you know, it's funny because a lot of people- I've been following the reviews for this, which is lovely. I have a thick skin. If there's a bad review, but it's well-written and makes me laugh, I fucking love it. This is a very specific film. Literally, you're gonna love it or hate it. There's no in between, but it's interesting. You know, a lot of the reviews are like, well, piggybacking off the success of Psycho Gorman, and it's- dude. I love Psycho Gorman, but eh eh eh. I started writing this a decade ago because I was dealing with a nightmare neighbor driving me insane, and the director also had a nightmare neighbor. We lived in the same neighborhood, a neighborhood of nightmares. So just because a film comes out, People, I don't know. It's everything takes longer to make than one would think.
0: No, absolutely. And it's funny, Psycho Gourman was one of our puzzle pieces, but hearing that this has been oh, in, yeah. in, in the in the works for 10 years, you know, it, it's crazy how things like that mm-hmm. happen. But that yeah. that's a thing though. Like when you see some of those reviews and people are like, you know, on writing on the back of Psycho Gourman, that's one thing I always want this podcast to not be is saying that, oh, this yeah. is just doing that over again or whatever this is riding on the back of these ideas they come about for years and years there's all kinds mm-hmm. of fun ways to mm-hmm. mix up similar themes and yeah. i think you know that's a good jumping off point to get into some of the other uh puzzle pieces that we discussed during our main conversation mm-hmm. right. i'm going to throw some of these out at you get some reactions and then i'll ask you also if you have any uh you know main inspirations that we didn't come up with but uh okay. we'll sure. start getting to that list I kicked it off with Return of the Living Dead um, as far as the mixture of rock and roll and punk rock and Mm -hmm. horror, gore, you know, all that. Oh, yeah. I mean,
1: dude, I I remember, you know, I've been watching horror films on VHS ever since I was a kid because, again, my parents let me watch stuff. When I was super young, they'd fast forward the adult bits but the gore and the violence was fine, yeah, how American sure. of them. Uh, so, yeah, I remember that one scene in particular getting fast-forwarded a lot mm. in that film, and I was like, mm-hmm, let's hold on, hold on, wait a minute, wait a minute. But uh, yeah, the look of the the skeleton corpse that, you know, yeah. you know, it hurts to be dead, and that it's hysterical because it's a corpse and it's a puppet, but it's real, and with Eleanor, who colloquially becomes uh, Skelinor, as we call her, <laughs> we wanted to emulate that and also... That scene in particular, the concept is, for me, it's so goofy because it's a puppet that's intentionally janky with eyes that don't really look right at people. But Then Jonah is giving it a deep performance of sadness and pathos, and then Randy Heller is so cool. Her voice performance is amazing, and her in-person performance as the landlord is great like yeah i never thought i'd end up having like the karate kid's mom in a movie (laughs) of mine yeah you know
0: absolutely you know that intentional jankiness uh, i just want to go back to that because that's something you you can only get with practical effects Mm -hmm. like this and that's what's so beautiful about it
1: i i agree completely and to speak on that another roundabout the special effects were designed by gabe bartalos i grew up watching. His effects in Basket Case 2 and 3 and Brain Damage and Matthew Barney's Cree Master Cycle. Over a decade ago, when I was dealing with the actual bad neighbor, I was an assistant painter and animator at his shop. I became friendly with him. We hit it off, not just with film, but also art. He's a, He does a lot of art restoration of this amazing Polish arder, artist, Zukowski, who's one of my favorites. Oh, when he realized yeah. I knew Zukowski, he's like, oh, Charlie, oh, you know Zygalski? Oh, fuck yeah, dude. Oh, you know <laughs> He went on to do Malika Straka with me, and now he's on board with this, and then we also were able to get the Academy Award-winning artist, Bill Corso, to do the painting and the application. Oh, Amazing.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. I love Bill.
1: Bill is incredible, and Bill's been working with Alex Winter since they were like 20 years old on The Lost Boys. Yeah. He did, dude, he was the main applier on Freaked, and uh, I think he did Bill and Ted 3, like he literally, he left Indiana Jones, the new film, and two days later was doing Destroy All Neighbors for us. Are you no kidding idea. me? <laughs> yeah.
2: We're going to have to like, like that out. No, I, I, just to give mm. you guys a, another idea how cool Bill is, I, I produced a short for my makeup buddy, mm. uh, Joel Harlow. And oh yeah, Harlow's and I, great too. Yeah, Harlow's awesome. And you know, there's this there's Bill, but I didn't know Bill was Bill at the time. Yeah. And he starts telling oh, these stories man. about Harrison Ford. And I was like, wait, are you talking about Harrison Ford right now? And then like, <laughs> he's all like, yeah. And I'm like, wait, who are you? And then you look yeah. this up and he's just there like being on his buddy's set, just like doing some applications for mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. While at the meantime, he's about to go take off to go do Deadpool 3. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. no, he's,
1: I mean? he's a real, He's a real sweetheart. And we, I mean, yeah. we had, we had, I think, one of the greatest uh, sculptors and like uniquely personal monster creators with Gabe. And then with Bill, we had one of the most technically brilliant painters and application artists. Uh, amazing. A dream yeah. come true. That's awesome. Y-
0: yeah. You know, you, you mentioned Freaked uh, earlier. That was one that I thought about including when we did our-, our whole puzzle pieces thing, but I didn't include it. But I've seen so many people making comparisons to like Alex Winter being back in Freaked mode yeah. after all these years. That must be awesome to see those comparisons.
1: Well, it thrills my soul. Mm-hmm. I'll be as public on the record about this as I can be. Freaked more than any other film is what made me, me as a kid. Hell yeah. I remember coming across it, maybe 10, 15 minutes into it on HBO and like, I wanna say like 93, 94, and just going like, Hoorah! you know, and then the desperate tracking down that VHS, my parents and I, Went to every mom and pop video store in the tri-state area to find it. This was kind of a rare tape. Sure. We finally found one store. I want to say it was in uh, maybe Bergenfield or Oradell, New Jersey that had it. And I we rented the hell out of it. That film inspired kind of my whole obsessive moving forward. So the fact that I started writing something that ended up not only appealing to Alex Winter to produce it, but to play the main comical antagonist in prosthetics like you did in freak. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a full circle moment of joy for my life. Amazing. Amazing stuff.
0: <laughs> uh another movie that uh this one Jonathan had brought up was Phantom of the Paradise.
1: Oh, fucking hell, that's my favorite De Palma, I that <laughs> film rips so hard. I want the 4K release so strong. I love that film. I love that film. Uh, well, I'll tell you something, you know, it, the film literally just came out Friday, and there's a lot percolating, but I've had several people say, you should literally just turn this into a stage musical. <laughs> I'm like, holy shit, with puppets and and music, and you know, my parents are theater people, musical theater people in particular. My dad's specialty is musical spoofs of songs. He once <laughs> did, he did a version of uh, a musical that was all this music from Oklahoma, but all the dialogue was altered about how much it sucks to to be old. It was called Aging the Musical. <laughs> so yeah, I love Phantom of the Paradise. Uh Swan is one of the best versions of the devil ever in film. And if we the directors and the director and the writers and I were already brainstorming ideas for sequels or continuations, if we get Ooh. to, uh, I think what might come next would be destroy all neighborhoods. And let's say <laughs> yeah. Jonah becomes the world's most popular prog rock manslaughterer in prison, right? So he has a cult of followers who break him out and maybe force him to perform on the road and madcap hilarity ensues, so... I'll watch it. I will watch that movie. Um. Hell yeah, me too. Hell yeah. That
2: sounds like a budget increase. A little bit.
1: (laughs) Dear, dear Mr. Shudder, (laughs) we humbly request one million more dollars, please. Yes, we'll see. Oh, fucking A. No, I'm joking, but Shudder has been nothing but a blast. They promoted the hell out of it. They let us do whatever we want. There was no interference. They got it. Literally, like a day after Alex Winter signed on, they were like, done deal, baby, let's do this. And to their credit, we did politely ask for a little bit more budget for amount of, we just had so many practical effects and shutter did give us a little more to make it a little easier. With that being said, it was still just a 20 day shoot. Mm-hmm. It was a tight shoot. It was insane. We shot it, uh, last August into September during a two week long heat wave where it was over a hundred degrees in LA every day, let alone when we're inside a warehouse downtown with sets and lights and Alex winter and 40 pounds Ooh, of rubber it was yeah. brutal it was brutal man now are you
2: mean now because I love this type of stuff are you talking because I seem to recall this being a little while ago like are you talking August 2022 or 2023
1: I believe it was 2022 my brain is mush <laughs> no it this is what year is this, this is 2020. 2020- no, Was it this is 2024? Yeah, it was 2022. Let's <laughs> let's say 2022. That sounds right. I'll double check my calendar and get <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll
2: come on in. No, uh-huh. and, and you know, and I got a question because I know I know this is about some of like the puzzle pieces and threads, but quick question because you did mention, um, because you know, I know you, Charlie, as also uh-huh. a director, um, because mm-hmm. you did do the short film Malika that uh, actually won makeup effects at Film That's class, right, it I'm did. That was so awesome. For Gabe yes.
1: Bartalos, he has yeah, that award. He has that award on the wall in his office.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I love hearing that. And so. Um, so that's, that makes me happy. And, uh, cause mm. actually one of our winners of like a Cthulhu, I think back in 2018 was Pedro Pascal. And I still don't know if he Dude. ever got that award. So I I'm hope like, so. I, I I'm, s- s-
1: I'm still itching for one of those awards. I'm going to get a fucking Cthulhu one day. You swear. I'm well, saying that now. You're on the thank right you. track. Thank uh, thank I mean, me and Pedro, I'm... we're like this, you know, we just, we, we, you yeah. Know, yeah, yeah we, we yeah, run around looking for little... Well, his thing is, like, he likes the cute little critters. I like the scary ones. So it, it works yeah. out pretty well, our separation of interest. Sure.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get that going. But, but, you are an accomplished director. And Thank so you. a question that I have was, because, you know, I was hearing you talk and uh, you've been trying to get this going for 10 years. So has this been like a 10-year collaboration with you and the director? Yes. Or is this, that why you didn't step up to the plate maybe to direct? What's the scoop there?
1: So this evolved out of, My friendship with Josh Forbes, who's one of my close buddies out here. He's an accomplished music video director, uh, you can look him up. His whole thing was he got so good at doing mid-level cutesy pop videos, that's all he got. But at his heart, he's a horror creeper, weirdo, gore hound, silly boy, Mm -hmm. right? Like me. So we just commiserated over that. I had an insane neighbor, you know, you- this isn't a video, but the wall, I'm- like he was right behind the wall here, right? And yes, my apartment is the same color green as the apartment from the film. That was a coincidence from the art team. They didn't even know that. That's crazy. (laughs) But yeah, I was complaining about my bad neighbor. Josh also had a bad neighbor and his wife was just about to give birth to their first kid. So he was in like hyper protective mode. And we decided instead of killing our neighbors in reality, let's write it. And also, it was a fun creative collaboration. And Josh was pretty blatant and open about this. He's like, Charlie, you've done more writing. I've done more directing. If we team up, maybe it'll be easier to make than if we just did it alone. And he was right; it still took a decade. But if I had had that young man ego, like no, I, I'm a director. If I had just tried to get this out just with me, I wouldn't have met Jonah. I would. This wouldn't happen. Yeah. So this was kind of a long term, canny way to get me into the world to do more directing of my own stuff. But yeah, this was a collaboration from day one, and that's what made it easier when other punchup writers came involved. Because I was like, once we got Jonah he wanted to make the main character more like him. So he's like, what if we get a punch-up writer? And what if we push it more towards music? What if he's a struggling musician? Because in my early drafts, he was a wannabe comic illustrator because mm. that was kind of where I was coming from. And But I love prog rock. I love, you know, art pop and, and post-punk and all this weird stuff. So the collaboration was the best part. And that's how it grew into the sweet film it is now. If you read my last single draft before the others came on, it's the same story, but it's slower, it's darker, it's bleaker, it's stinkier. Cuz you know, I was I was in my mid 20s, I was young, I was angry. I'd gone through almost 3 years dealing with that neighbor before he was evicted, <sighs> let alone the end of my relationship with my then girlfriend who lived with me, and the whole thing was falling apart inside and around me. So, I I don't want whatever comes next to take 10 years, nor will it. Of course it won't. But this decade of evolution was the best thing that could have happened for the film and for all of us.
0: Awesome. You know, I I, I got to ask, on the show, We I ended up talking about Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story uh, as a possible oh, pulp
1: piece. So you mean the new yes. series? Yes, which is obviously no, after I mean, you no, started. This was all, but... I will say this. I watched that. I loved it. Jennifer Lynch did some of the direction yep. of those episodes, and uh, she's great. I love that they incorporated the sounds of whale song throughout mm. it. As this eerie disconnect, and then at the very end you realize Dahmer listened to Whale Song in prison to keep himself calm. Oh, wow. like that is a recorded fact. Yeah. And I thought the acting was incredible. I know there was some controversy in terms of making it at all, but from a from a point of view of someone who's in, interested deeply in the extremes of the human existence and acting and directing, yeah, I've, I love that show. It wasn't a direct influence, but yeah, I, I'm, I appreciate you bringing it up because I don't think it gets enough accolades in terms of the, the making of it right on well another one i
0: think uh is a, a fairly obvious one is peter jackson's dead alive uh especially once all those guys start getting gathered into the house and mm-hmm. the, he has to make sure nobody finds out about him fun stuff
1: party's over yes. yeah uh i love that film josh forbes maybe loves it more and it's a similar thing where you have this kind of milk toast pathetic dude who threw insanity or supernatural shenanigans whatever you want to interpret it, is is forced to kind of man up for better or worse, and then just gets covered in blood. That was a, that was a, a direct homage or lift depending on how much you like our film. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> so, uh, another one that Jonathan brought up, um, and he was talking about like the aesthetics of the film and stuff like that. He was mm-hmm. talking about hobo with a
1: shotgun. Uh,
0: wondering your thoughts. I on like
1: that. that a lot. The, I will, that cinematography, that kind of gritty, like it's eighties vibes, but it's clearly modern day right. Los Angeles. Uh, but The color palette, yeah, Josh Forbes loves that film a lot. I like it a lot. Rucker Hauer is great. I wouldn't say that was like a direct lift initially, but when we got, I bet you anything Josh showed that to William Stone, our talented DP who just knocked this out of the park. You know, a lot of times comedies end up looking a little, well, let me put it as a comedies don't often have cinematography as our main focus, but we knew this had to look like a genre film, even though it's funny. And I think we, man, I've seen it on the big screen at the Alamo Draft House a couple times, and it just looks gorgeous. Yeah. It's gorgeous looking.
0: I think so. At least. I can't wait so, to see it in the yeah. theater one of these days. But uh, last one mm. from our list, we did talk about another like four or five things, but last one I wanted to bring up, of course, Tenacious D in The Pick of Destiny is where we yeah. head in this movie. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, of course, uh, let me put it this way. Uh, a lot of the more negative reviews are like, this is like a pick a destiny if it fucking sucks. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, dude, all right. Well, you get back to me when you make your music prog rock monster adventure. Uh-huh. But uh, <laughs> that kind of evolved naturally as it became more musical. Again, my initial draft wasn't music-based. Right. It had a much darker, bleaker ending, which I could tell you about off the record because I don't want to toot my own horn. I'm happy with the new ending that allows for sequels. Mm. Uh mm. But yeah, it's, you know, Vlad, and another thing, people are like, this film makes no sense. These fucking writers, like, Vlad's his friend, and then suddenly he's not? That's dumb. And I'm like, motherfucker, have a little bit of read-the-room media knowledge. Vlad is a representation of his inner demons and his brain working overtime. He gets into a groove, he's finally recording his thing, but as creatives, there's that moment right before we fucking finally finish something where we're like... What the fuck are we? No way. Oh, we fucked this up. So Vlad turning into the ultimate fuck you monster at the end. Yeah, that's a documentary. That's how it works. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and you only defeat it if, like William, you just say, No, I'm not gonna ignore it. I'm gonna ignore yes. you. Like to me, that plays, but yeah, I think there's a fifty fifty split, letterbox wise, where people who are creatives, whatever they are, are like, I get it. And then you have people like this fucking piece of this dweeb, fuck you, Vlad rocks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah,
0: as a musician myself, I, I definitely get it. And by the way, we could go on an entire hour-long tangent about media literacy right now and how people... Oh, God, the world needs it, but my throat kind of hurts, <laughs> yeah, so we'll,
1: we'll do that another day. Absolutely.
0: So uh, I want to ask you now, are there any major influences that were just right front and center that uh, that I haven't brought up at this point that you want to uh,
1: Delicatessen okay. and Barden Fink. Yes. From day one, Josh was like, I wanted to have the fisheye lens, crazy delicatessen, you know, Genet vibes, and also the obsessive nervousness of Barton Fink. The hallway set was designed to look like Barton Fink's apartment, yeah. but more run down in L.A. Uh, yeah, I would say those are the two big ones that Josh, like from day one, I what, you know what I can do is uh, I can email you guys the Scissor reel trailer, and you'll see all the old footage we culled from. And you could see how well we maybe ended up doing. Oh, that. that's cool. But that's cool. And yeah, yeah Barton Fink. That's maybe my my favorite Coen Brothers film. It's so also good. Inside Lewin Davis was a big draw for Josh because that is also about the main character sucks and he's a, he's would be a musician, but he just fucks up his life because he's a piece of shit. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So. It's funny. I, I didn't bring them up, but I had a combo puzzle piece, Barton Fink and inside Llewyn Davis on my list that I was thinking about. bringing. You are
1: up. right there with Josh Forbes, my friend. There we go. Uh-huh. There we go. You know, now
2: that you're bringing that up, I haven't seen this film. It's always been on my list is like Bavarian sound studio. And now like, uh, when you bring, up I like inside that film Llewyn a lot.
1: Movie? Yeah. Uh That, that director is, crazy cool i like his films a lot and yeah that's about a horror movie sound designer losing his mind doing sound design for a horror film yeah i actually should rewatch it it's been a uh, that came out what like half a decade ago maybe more like i have no ago. sense of time now but yeah that's yeah. a good one yeah and that main actor i love that guy he's one of the best little british dudes of all time
0: <laughs> i've never seen it i've always heard that it's great and super weird and uh yeah, yeah i gotta mm-hmm. check that out for sure it's yeah. on the to do. Yeah, <laughs> there's so much mm, on the to do. Right, there comes a point where you have to accept. It never ends, especially when you do a, a movie be podcast. Be it can be never be ends. But uh, um, yeah. can, I imagine? can I ask
2: Charlie a question sure. here now? Go like, for it. and this is just a little bit looking forward, and maybe because you know I have my Cliff Notes and my cheat sheet that I have some things going on. Uh, we mentioned Mala Kastraka and the short film and stuff like that. And I guess my question for you is. What's what's next, man? And is there a possibility we can see something in the Lobsterverse?
1: I think the Lobsterverse is a very sweet boiling pot to drop myself further into, for sure. <laughs> uh, that short exists. That short is also on Shudder is part of the Beyond the Dark anthology series. Nice. So my thinking is between Shudder liking Destroy All Neighbors and also already having Malcastraka, I certainly want to pitch them... That idea, possibly, and uh, I've been developing it kind of on the low down for years now, as as you know. But then beyond that, I have about six or seven other scripts, all horror or horror comedy that I'd like to get out there. I have a really strong idea for Ghoulies reboot sequel that I <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> desperately, seriously want to do. That could be a nice jumping point from Destroy All Neighbors because Malakistrock is much bleaker and darker. So as a follow-up, I don't know. I mean, I like subverting expectations, but we shall see. And then beyond that, I'm also re-editing. I'll try to keep this a little short because it's a bit of a crazy story. But in the summer of 2006, I filmed a failed animal rights documentary uh, for the sister of an Academy Award-winning actress who's the daughter of another famous actor, I'll tell you off the record. It was an animal rights documentary in Pennsylvania. I stayed with him all summer filming it, and it ended up becoming my lost in La Mancha, but with horses, because they bankrupted the production by rescuing too many horses, and they had nowhere to put them, so we had to make a secret agreement with a progressive Amish man named Enos King to hide the horses in his barn until more paddocks were built on her father's land. I ended up with a rough cut of a feature film shot on mini-DV when I was 19 that showed all this fall into chaos, and I've just sat on the footage forever because I was embarrassed by it. I never was paid. There was no licensing, no nothing. And now it's almost 20 years later, and I think it would be fun to revisit that footage and make this edit even if I can't legally release it, but maybe I will. And I think it will be a fun way to reclaim this lost bit of my history that is insane. And yes, off the record, I could give you more details. I love that. That is, yeah.
0: I Those kinds of documentaries that just go in a completely different direction are always yeah. the best, so...
1: You know, I was I was embarrassed because I, I had no money, so I was shooting it on mini-DV tape, mm-hmm. on a mini-DV camera. And I got away with filming things other people wouldn't because I looked like a kid. And it was so unprofessional, nobody cared. And it that was embarrassing to me. But now, all these years later, it is so inherently the year 2006, which is retro and nostalgic, that the fact it's shot on mini-DV and is lo-fi could actually be a selling point to make it stand out as a period piece documentary that could get into film festivals now when 20 years ago, no one would touch it. Mm. We shall see. We shall see. But I'm very excited about that. Absolutely. That sounds awesome.
0: Charles, Mm. I always like to end these by asking, is there a movie you watched recently that you really love that you'd like to recommend to our listeners?
1: Yeah, I'll bring up the one and only Gorgo now out on 4K from Severin. The British-Irish- rip-off, you'd say, of Godzilla, but it fucking is awesome. The best technicians worked on it. The 4K is gorgeous. It was shot in Technicolor. The reds and the yellows and the greens pop. It's early 60s in London. Honestly, it's one of the best 4Ks I've seen, and Gorgo is so cute. He's got big, flappy ears, kind of looks like an upright Baragon from the Godzilla films, and, uh... No, what can I say? I'm a big Gorgo head now. Gorgo is number one in my mind at this moment of time. Amazing. Amazing.
0: Well, we know we can find destroy all neighbors on Shutter, but where can people find
1: more about you? You can find me on Instagram at C Piper, P-I-E-P-E-R, like one pie per serving. I'm on Twitter at inherent charlie. And if you're curious, you can find a lot of my short films and animations and further info on www.charlespiper.com.
0: Awesome. And Jonathan, uh, tell people where they could find you and where they could find FilmQuest.
2: Yeah, you can find me. I mean, since Charlie, he gave all the good details. If you want to find us on Instagram, just go to at FilmQuest. You could also go to the website filmquestfest.com. We are taking submissions right now. We do want genre. Uh, We take everything from music video to documentary to shorts and features and animated films. And then also, if you want to see some of my own work, you could go to bohemianindustries.com or you could go to Instagram, which I don't update that often, but you can go to Instagram, which is at bohemianindustries. So you can
0: check that out. Awesome. Woo. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much for doing this. And Charles, Jonathan, hopefully we'll get uh, each of you back on the show again sometime.
1: I would Hell love yeah. it. Yeah, would love it too.
0: Years we've covered in past seasons include 1994, 2003, 1977, and 1984. And we've got all of film history to look forward to. So check us out at awesomemovieyear.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Thank you to Charles Piper for joining me on that one. Also to Jonathan Martin. And thank you to you for listening if you're enjoying piecing it together, of course, make sure you're subscribed wherever it is that you're listening right now. And if that app happens to have a five star button that you can click on to drop us a little five star rating and review, it would be very much appreciated. It helps make sure that more people check out the show and then we can continue doing awesome things with this podcast. So that does it for today's episode. You could also follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show. And don't forget, we do have a Patreon, the Produced by David Rosen Patreon, where I post bonus and advanced content from Piecing It Together, from Awesome Movie Year, which is another movie podcast that I produce, and from my music career. So lots of great stuff over there. In the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be posting some advanced stuff on there from my music. Uh, but there's always new things on there from Piecing It Together, an awesome movie or so. Check it out. I appreciate you being out there just listening. But if you want to support the show in that way, it's patreon.com slash Rosen. And speaking of my music, let's close out the show with a piece of my music. And I played... Uh, I played the Bus Party to Hell on the main Destroy All Neighbors episode. Um, I gotta play uh, another crazy track. Let's see, what do I got? I want to play something pretty damn heavy, and so I think this would be a good one. I'm going to go with a track called Burnout from my album Head Like Fire. Hope you enjoy this song. Head Like Fire is, of course, available on all the streaming services, where you can also find... My current stuff, which is the 24 for 2024 series, where I'm releasing a song on the first and third Friday of every month of 2024. 24 songs in total, Uh, but this goes back to around 2008, I believe, is when Head Like Fire came out. Uh, This is Burnout. Hope you enjoy it. We'll be back with more Piecing It Together real soon.